I often hear well-meaning Christians, well-meaning preachers say, of all people on planet Earth, we Christians shouldn't struggle with depression. But I know that we do. Often we Christians feel guilty because the scriptures tell us, and we've heard it this morning, that we are more than conquerors in Christ. We feel guilty because the scriptures tell us that we should enjoy a joy unspeakable and full of glory. But the truth remains, friends, being a Christian does not exempt us from being human. We battle discouragement too, and sometimes for no apparent reason, which begs the question, are you discouraged? This morning, downhearted. The problem with depression is that during our low moments, we are prone to make the wrong assumptions. We make the wrong assumptions about ourselves. We may think that something is fundamentally wrong with us, that our faith is perhaps defective in some way. We hear talk about the victorious Christian experience and we wonder why we are so broken. We assume wrong things about other people. Thinking that we are the only ones that battle these kinds of feelings that no one else understands, that no one else even cares. And we even jump to the wrong conclusions about the Lord. Maybe he doesn't love us. Maybe he's punishing us or doesn't really hear us when we pray. Maybe he doesn't think or care about us the way we thought. If you've been there, dear friends, or if you're there now, I hope this passage of scripture will minister to you as it ministers to me. It is believed that the book of Lamentations was written by the prophet Jeremiah in about 586 BC. The word Lamentations means quite literally to cry aloud. How fitting then that the man referred to as the weeping prophet should be the author of this book of tears. The content of this book is described perfectly by its title. It contains five melancholy poems mourning the destruction of Jerusalem at the hands of the Babylonians. A tragedy, friends, remember, that could have been averted had Israel have repented. Jeremiah's prophetic word to the people of God was unpalatable. It was unpopular. Consequently, Jeremiah received abuse, scorn. He was unjustly imprisoned and even accused of conspiring against Israel with Israel's enemies. Subsequently, he was thrown into a cistern without light or food for several days. Some scholars suggest weeks. When they finally brought Jeremiah out of the system, he was little more than an emaciated skeleton. 
He wept. He wept and he wept. Not, friends, for his mistreatment, but for the stubbornness of God's people, Israel. Eventually, of course, Jeremiah's predictions came true. Israel was sacked, so to speak, and its people were made slaves of pagans. It is thought that Jeremiah at that time was then forced to flee to Egypt, where he later died, a broken man in a foreign land. Boy, oh boy, a sad, sad story to be sure, friends. So sad that Jeremiah went through a period of time when he felt like God, God was out to destroy him. Just look at the first part of our chapter, there in Lamentations chapter 3. Notice how brutally honest Jeremiah is. Brutally honest, as unequivocally he blames God for all of his troubles. It seems as if his prayers were being blocked from the presence of God. He said there in verses 10 and 11 that it seemed as though God was like a wild animal crouching in the dark, waiting to attack and to kill him. He then tells how he felt as if God had had pinned a target to his back and God was using him for target practice. And in verse 18, Jeremiah is filled with bitterness. Notice he declares That he has lost all hope. Clearly, friends, clearly, here is a deeply, deeply depressed individual. But, hallelujah for the buts. But, as Jeremiah began to reflect further, His focus, notice, turns away from his problems to the Lord. And something wonderful happens. In the midst of this despair and sorrow and self-pity, something wonderful happens. Instead of listening to his feelings, he begins to listen to the various characteristics of his God. Brothers and sisters, this morning, whenever we find ourselves like Jeremiah in the pit, the only way we can escape is to train ourselves to meditate upon the characteristics of God. Easier said than done, you say. Yes, but not impossible. Have any of us fallen as low as Jeremiah fell? Perhaps. But from the depths of Jeremiah's despair, somehow, someway, he was able to lift his spirit towards heaven and focus on the characteristics of his God. Jeremiah, as he reflects, recalls three specific divine character traits that turned his whining into worship very quickly. Don't know why I'm looking at that clock. Force of habit. There's a deliverance ministry for you. 
Take the clock away and the pastor's delivered. Hallelujah. Firstly, Jeremiah remembered that God was his rock. Oh, how the hymn writer once beautifully penned. Oh, safe to the rock that is higher than I. He remembered that God was his rock. When all the world forsakes you, when your closest friends don't understand you, and you become convinced that no one cares, focus, my friends, on the truth that God is your rock. Listen to what verse 22 says in the English Standard Version. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. He communicates something that's solid, like a rock. Verse 23, he says, great is your faithfulness. Verse 25, he reflects, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. When, friends, all the world is falling apart, God will be your rock too. When safe to the rock, you flee. The word Jeremiah uses to describe the love of God in verse 22 is an interesting word. It comes from the Hebrew word chesed. And it communicates the idea of loyalty. God is loyal. Friends, what are the implications of this? Well, the Lord never ever abandons those who love him. Hallelujah. Though I abandon him. Though I falter and fail. Though I, like Jeremiah, find myself at times deep in despair. In some kind of spiritual pit. My God. Is loyal. He never abandons me. Regardless of how friends and family might make me feel at times. Regardless of how, of how Christian brothers and sisters might make me feel. God doesn't forget his covenant of love with me. He never fails to honor the commitment uh, that he has made to me. Listen, brethren, when life gets as bad as I think it can get, I must remind myself that God is still in control, that He loves me, and that He will never, ever abandon me, for He is my rock. My rock is never caught by surprise. My rock is never caught off God. My rock intervenes. Knowing my limits, not allowing my circumstances to get so bad that I have nothing to live for. A man who was no stranger to depression, David, wrote in Psalm 61, verses 2 through 3, Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the foe. Friends, when you are down... And all of life seems dark. And your joy it seems has gone. You need to remind yourself that God will not abandon you in your hour of greatest need. He will be your rock when everything else feels like sand. My friends, safe to the rock that is higher than I. 
He remembered God was his rock. Secondly, Jeremiah remembered that God was his redeemer. Friends, don't let the devil sell you his lies about our loving heavenly father. He is a God who feels my sorrows. He is a God who sympathizes with my pain. He is a God who forgives my failures. And rather than be angry with me for doubting or questioning him, my God, my rock this morning, views me with love and compassion. In Jeremiah, in uh, verse 22 of Lamentations, Jeremiah says, Because his mercies never come to an end. His mercies never come to an end. Beautiful description, depiction of that uh, graphically, isn't it, for us? From, from the use of the ball by Laura there this morning. It's an interesting word. Mercies. It comes from a Hebrew word, which is a derivative of the word for womb. A mother's womb. Fascinating thought. The picture Jeremiah paints is that of a mother who lovingly cherishes and soothes her newborn baby. Just as a child will often run to his mother for comfort... When he or she is hurt, we are being encouraged, it seems to me this morning, to run to our God, who will gather us to himself, close to the bosom of his womb, and comfort us. I remember as a child playing out in the streets, inevitably from time to time, falling over and getting getting her hurt, bruises, bashes, and, and uh, cuts, and, and all manner of things. And I would flee to the arms of my mother. Did she take the, the physical hurt away immediately? No. Did she comfort me? Boy, oh boy, did she. She wrapped me in her arms. And she comforted me. That's the picture here. It is a mother's nature to nurture. My friends, Jeremiah wants us to understand this morning that it's God's nature to nurture us. Every time we suffer physically, emotionally or spiritually, when we are crushed and confused, God views us with compassion. Satan would have us to believe that God is absent. That God is apathetic when we are hurt. But Jeremiah wants us to know from experience, remember, that God feels our pain and desires to be our comfort. How sad it is that oftentimes we push God away. Bitterness, you see. Bitterness encroaches our spirits. We push him away. We are utterly helpless, just like newborn babes. We need God to nurture us and to redeem us. Notice verse 23 again. They, that is, God's mercies are new every morning. Friends, doesn't that just thrill your soul? 
You're not convinced. I'm so blessed this morning. His mercies are new on October the 22nd, 2017. Why? Because I need them to be new today. Because I've exhausted his mercies from yesterday. Because I was, was, I was what I was yesterday. Like a bird with a sore head and a bad cold. You know the type. Man flu. Uh, you women laugh, but it's a genuine clinical problem we men suffer from from time. Man, we have a doctor in the midst. Chat to him, he'll tell you. Man flu. It's real. Girls, it's real. And I was like a bird with a sore head this morning as well. And I needed God's mercies towards me to be new. Because his mercies of yesterday, I'm pretty well exhausted, I'm sure. But they're new to me this morning. And you know what? Tomorrow morning is Monday. Hallelujah. Guess what? We need his mercies to be new on Monday morning, don't we? Oh, as the alarm goes and as a fresh week begins and it looms large ahead of us and we lie in our beds thinking, oh, why me, Lord? I tell you what, his mercies are going to be new for you. 23rd of October, 2017. Hallelujah. Isn't that something? Because he's our redeemer. He's our redeemer. He's my rock. He's my redeemer. And quickly to end, Jeremiah remembered that God was his reward. Notice verse 24. The Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. The Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. The phrase, the Lord is my portion, literally means the Lord is my inheritance. It's an expression based on Numbers 18, verse 20, where the Lord said to Aaron, the brother of Moses, at that time, high priest of Israel, I am your portion and your inheritance. What God was saying to Aaron is quite beautiful. You see, whilst the other tribes of Israel stood to inherit land when they entered the promised land, the priests, Aaron amongst them, wouldn't receive any property to speak of. But God wanted the focus to be on another world. The reward, if you like, was not of this world. God said, I I will be your inheritance. I will be your reward. Friends, why is that important? Well, this morning God is reminding me that what I need most in this world is not of this world. What we need most in this world is not of this world. We need God. He is the only one who can help us. He is the only one that we need. The temptation of of all of us, is to get so wrapped up in earthly things that we lose sight of what is really important. The answer to our needs cannot be found in anything of this world. God was telling his priests, you let me worry about your future. Look to me to satisfy your needs. All, friends, we really ultimately need is The Lord. Do we believe that? Do we believe it? Why do we clamor therefore for the things of this world? Maybe this is why some of us are discouraged this morning. 
You see, we've put our hope, our confidence in the wrong things. We've put our trust in the affairs of this world. But only God, only God can meet our deepest needs. More worldly stuff is not the answer. God alone is the answer. Notice what verse 25 says. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in Him. To the one who seeks Him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in Him. What are you hoping for? Who are you trusting in? Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. Hallelujah. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. The exhortation of the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah 55, 6 is, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Friends, when you get down, when you are despairing, when you are downcast, when you are disappointed, when you are spiritually depressed, perhaps separate from clinical depression, remember that God is your rock. God is your redemption. God is your reward. Brethren, Christians get depressed too. For many years I had on my desk a little plaque bought me by my mother. It's called the Burden Bearer. Anonymously written it says, The little sharp vexations and the briars that catch and fret. Why not take them to the helper who has never failed us yet? Tell him about the heartache and tell him the longings too. Tell him the baffled purpose when we scarce know what to do. Then, leaving all our weakness with the one divinely strong, forget that we bore the burden and carry away the song. Brothers and sisters, I know, I know Christians get depressed, discouraged, downhearted, distracted, But God is your rock. Flee to Him. God is your Redeemer. Rest in Him. God is your reward. Enjoy Him. 